Welcome to Show to V with Mike S, the show of love, the show of life, the show of fire and air. I had the opportunity to sit down with Mike G and actually record him for the 100th episode of Show to V. We talk about music, we talk about booze, we talk about influences, we talk about the therapeutic process that this has all been able to give us, where Austin is going, if it's going anywhere and emotional ways that we all seem to open up in this forum. I thank him incredibly of allowing me this opportunity to talk to him, to kind of turn the tables, as he even mentions in here, make the hunter become the hunted. So obviously, I hope that you guys enjoy this session with Mike G and Austin and Jin. something you know you bring into something that i that i was even thinking driving over here that i wanted to bring up mm-hmm. music is definitely a uh common thread that goes through all of these things you find a way to incorporate music into the conversations mm-hmm. music is a very big part of your life so why don't you tell us about give us sort of the soup to nuts like how yeah. how you got so into it where it started where it brought you because right now your life in terms of the way that you make money doesn't have to do with music anymore Mm-mm. so where and then why did you go into that why'd you go in that direction you know, so my mom was, to, she, when it comes to culture and it comes to music or it comes to film or any of that stuff, like that all comes from my mom, you know, uh, and this is a roundabout way of ask, answering the question, but growing up with her is a different kind of thing. And she was always playing piano. She'd been playing piano since she was a kid. Her mom made her play piano. So I think it was 88 or 89, she said, Mike, well, she called me Michael, but you're going to take piano lessons. I'm like, I don't want to take piano lessons. She's like, you're going to take piano lessons. And I did. And I was kicking and screaming. But basically, those lessons with Mr. Real, which I'm sure he's passed by now. He had one of the most elegant hair pieces I've ever seen. And a man had the worst breath of anybody that I can recall. And he would sit there and we'd meet, I think, every Saturday or something like that. And so we'd go through and he'd say, this is bass clef, this is treble clef. You know, do your thing. And then I would learn the classics, like an abridged version of the, the classics, like uh, Chopin or Tchaikovsky or a lot of lists, right? So anyway, so I, I started to do this. And then, lo and behold, school, at that point at least, was really because I was taking band and stuff, right? So it's like I'm doing piano and then I'm thinking, well, I want to get involved with band. It's a good reason to be social or good. And you were how old in 89? Uh, I was eight or eight, nine. Okay. Nine years old. Yeah, it's easy because I can add it to, to 80 and 80s. And in that, 80. being nine years old and being in these things or whatever like that, mm-hmm. like, was it was it socially accepted at your school and forever to be the kid that took piano? And like, I mean, I take it, you, <laughs> yeah. did you not play, I mean, did you play football? Did you play any sports or that, that you went into this artistic thing? Right. Was that, you know, that time and place, I mean, the 80s and being a kid and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes people make fun of you for that stuff. Yeah, well, they, I mean, I moved around all the time. Mm-hmm. So, I was in Arizona at the time, and 
we moved at third grade. So I went to new elementary school, the new kid in third grade. And I think that was roughly around the time that I started doing piano. And, you know, shortly thereafter, my mom got me an alto sax. I was at least trying to do something social with other people. But still, the only constant when you're moving around is yourself. Sure. So you don't rely on other people and you certainly don't develop a good muscle to assimilate, I suppose you could say, right? And so I wasn't really social, you know? I mean, I could talk to people, but like me playing in a band or not made no difference. You didn't have a click at any of these. No, there's no way. I didn't have enough time. These kids had went to school for probably three years together, four years together. So they have all this rapport and I kind of come into it. And so I'm finding myself having more in common with the teachers because I could talk to them and I'm, I, you know, I have to adapt. And so socially, I think that those things got moving forward a little bit right. more quickly than some of the other kids. So music was just this thing. And I took to it and I liked it. It connected me to things that showed up in, because music is in a lot of movies, a huge backdrop, right? So it was just connected. What like music that. were you listening to at that time? Oh, when I was eight, um, eight, nine. My mom had a pretty big vinyl collection. Mm-hmm. And I would go dip into it from time to time. And I would say, you know, a little bit later, I would, she had a lot of Phil Collins on vinyl, which was, mm-hmm. was great. And I love Phil Collins. She had Yes on vinyl. She had the Beatles on vinyl, which I never cared for until like my mid 20s. But the one tape that I can remember that she had that I was always listening to was Queen. So mm. News of the World. Mm. And to illustrate, so very poppy upbringing. Oh, dude, totally poppy. Yeah, not and classical. A, not, you know? a, not a Van Halen, Metallica, Iron Maiden, no, any of no those metal. Kind of yeah, I, like... I discovered that in my teens. My mom, she got kind of edgy sometimes. So like, she was a big Roxy Music fan, and mm. that was like kind of cool, sure. even though I didn't know in the the late '80s. You know, Brian Ferry, just a weird looking dude, but their music with Brian Eno, like, sure. it was really cool. So. There was some cool stuff. I mean, she grew up in San Francisco, so she had some finger on the pulse of music and all that. But I, I don't know. It wasn't that cool. And all, all I can tell you is that I liked Queen so much that I would I ran that tape dry, man. Sure. News of the world. And I remember specifically one time I was in, yeah, I think it was in Arizona. And I was in my banana chair, right? And I'm singing along to, to Queen, full, full lungs. My door's closed and like, no one's home. And my dad comes in and I'm singing like Queen, which some of those songs are like Get Down, Make Love as a nine or 10 year old. Sure. That's a tad inappropriate, you know, sure. but he looks at me and he's kind of like, what the fuck did I walk in? And he walks back out. Right. So it, it was, that was the thing that could help me feel social and feel, feel connected to this bigger thing, you know? Cool. Yeah, that's good. So you started out with piano, mm-hmm. you learned some classics, you're starting to get into music, like to understand yeah. what it means. Not, I, I mean, I guess what it were you a big MTV person? Like, did you get wrapped up in the pop culture of like the top 40 and things like that? Right. I mean, you're talking about some stuff like being a nine year old listening to Queen in 1989 <laughs> is definitely, is, is, is yeah. you know, it, it's indie. Yeah. You know, I suppose, doing that right? kind of stuff. Well, so, Freddie Mercury was still alive too. So yeah, they were still exactly. putting, out, putting yeah. out music. But your friends weren't jamming to Queen also. You know, I don't know. The only f- people at that time, even within the first couple of years, I could remember of living in Arizona. I don't remember anybody really being into certain kinds of music. I remember they would be into certain kinds of Nintendo games mm-hmm. or certain TV shows, but I felt kind of like out on my own thing. And classical was safe because I didn't have, I know I wouldn't have to ask my, because my, I gotta be honest, my dad doesn't really have 
he doesn't have the best musical taste, you know. Sure. We we like some of the same stuff. And Neil Diamond was something that later we bonded over. But that was that was all for me. And I played sure. it safe with classical stuff, and then then it got poppy. And I remember, I think the moment where I started actually diving into pop, and this is probably I don't know what year and Vogue was out because it's Nirvana and and in Vogue. Oh yeah, and Vogue was yeah, and Vogue was ninety three four. Yeah, a little bit later, yeah. right? Um, so they kind of eighth blurs. grade for me, which I guess would have been yeah, like ninety two. Yeah, so so we you know we're probably moving ahead just a little bit, but. That breakdown part, the acapella breakdown part. Never, never gonna, gonna get it, never gonna yeah, get sure. it. No. That was to me, I recorded it off the radio and I listened to that part so many times because I said, sure. in essence, this is one of the most amazing acapella pieces I've like ever heard. And somehow that appealed to the classical senses. And mm-hmm. I just remember that piece. And then, so I was listening to that and sort of mix a lot was on Jodeci yeah. and Belle Biv DeVoe. And, yeah. But it didn't mean anything to me. I was listening to it too because it was interesting, but it didn't make me feel anything. Sure. And then Nevermind came out, mm-hmm. and I got a tape from a friend. And this we're, we're talking about Salt Lake now, but that was that was it. That changed every, like my whole sense of melody. I learned how to write songs on guitar because was you know. Nevermind the most life changing album that you have gotten? Oh yeah, or, yeah, absolutely. Because that was it. not only did it show me that. <clears throat> With just power chords, you can write any song you want because mm-hmm. tonally it's flat, but like really short. But you can write a song with that. Every goddamn Nirvana song is basically just power chords. Sure. But the thing that it really did is, I brought it home and I listened to it. I'm like, man, this is really heavy and this is really loud. And he's like screaming. Mm-hmm. I I I love it because I heard lithium one, one one late night in sure. Arizona. I'm like, holy shit, what is this, right? But anyway, so I got a tape and I'm like, all right, mom. Listen to this because I need to know that this is okay because I'm going to pursue this <laughs> this kind of music. I'm going to really, really dive into this more. Right. And she liked it. She's like, it sounds British. I'm like, okay. I still yeah. don't know how she heard that. Right. But, but yeah, but that opened it. And then from that point, I was buying tapes and buying CDs. And obviously, the fucking grunge thing was happening at exactly the right time for sure. me going through puberty and, you know, Soundgarden building these kind of like post-apocalyptic world, worlds with lyrics and just blowing my mind intellectually. But that was it. That was that moment. That tape still, I can still listen to Nevermind. Side two, preferably, and it's a pop masterpiece. Sure. And I actually got to talk to Butch Vig about it. But you, but, person, but so. for the record, you don't like the Sturgill uh, Simpson version of uh, Oh, in Bloom? It's fucking... Just because you fun. can run, it's not fun. It's, there's like nothing it. about it to me. Oh, dang, starting. There's nothing about it that's fun to me. It is... He shifts the chord progression to match something tonally that doesn't even match the other song. It didn't need to be done, and I felt like it's just kind of passe. Like, okay. I didn't. I don't like. Yeah, it. Yeah, because when I when I was sitting in my car and having a shitball day, and and that song came on, the first thing that I noticed was the chord progression. Yeah, okay. it's kind of like being the, an it's egghead. Like, <laughs> it's like the the Nixon song, right? So yeah. we can look at it now and be like, oh, that was a good song. Even though if we looked at it further, we'd be like, that was a shit song. Right. But that little spark of nostalgia that it causes oh, that's the only yeah. reason that song no, works yeah. it's not good songwriting yeah. it's nothing about anyway that's yeah. why people like stuff like the presidency of the united states of america yeah. and shit like that like they're terrible it is but people listen to peaches and it reminds you of like being in a in a back of a car totally in, you know the 90s and, and that like, guitar you know. tone is pretty cool though man like yeah. it, 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 from a production standpoint it was kind of interesting stuff but so then so all of this learning you do that then then you were in a band you you made your money off of music at one point. Well, I made some money off right. of music. Well, I mean, I mean, was it your sole career at one point? No, it never was. Okay. Because 
you know, you can't make money being sure. in a quote unquote emo band. Right. You know, and you certainly can't be make money in a band that doesn't know how to write three minute songs and ask to write eight minute songs. That was me being over adult. Like just that wasn't in in the cards. I had there were a couple opportunities later on that probably could have turned into that. But what was the name of the band? Oh man, by the time that you know it became something where we were kind of selling out shows and things. I was clap clap, and that was like two thousand five, two thousand six. And what was the what was the genre? What were your inspirations? Well, I came in as a, a hired gun. It was basically a. I met Josh at Texas State. We had German class together, and it was a really popular band in Austin because it was like clap your hands and say yeah. To, mm-hmm. as, as odd sure. as it is, the names are very similar, but the, right. the tone. Like LCD sound system, mm. like Hot Chip, if it was all instruments instead of synths and stuff, and they were doing really well, but there were like twelve fucking people in the band, right? So they're playing shows, and they can't even fit on stage. Yeah. Right? I was like, so they had, yeah. so they did rap shows. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> like that. Like, there's a section of clappers. I'm talking like four people dedicated right. to just clapping. It's like mm-hmm. this isn't feasible. So I I said, hey, I'd like to learn how to record music more, and this is when I got. Pro Tools, early 2000s or 2004, 2005. 2004, I think, specifically. I'm like, let me record your record. So I did that, and I did a remix for them, and then ultimately ended up joining the band. I'm like, okay, Josh, we need to fire like half of these people. Right. We can't be a good band if there are all these other people. And like, right. and so anyway, so that that was a really cool moment, being in San Marcos <laughs> and doing that band, and then selling out Emos right. inside, which is the apex of my And what year was career. this? This is 2000, probably five or six. Probably five. Uh, I was yeah, really, I wasn't in Austin then, so yeah. I wouldn't have seen you. So Yeah, it was a cool time, for sure. Yeah. And we, instead of taking it forward, we decided to break up because I had already started building a career in tech and right. in 2004. So your career in tech was going on at that time in 2006? Yeah. I'd okay, so that was your day job. Yeah, for which sure. you still have now. Yeah, thirteen years. Going and on then, years. but you've, as we're sitting in this room with all this nice equipment. Yeah, you went on to produce things too. Yo, yeah, for sure. Right, like, I love concurrently. Music. Yeah, I was doing everything like all at one time. Have you ever produced anything that we would know? Yeah, the sword. Have right, you heard of this? So I did right. the uh, Brian. I'd known for a long time. He was an old old school part of that scene. Mm-hmm. We were playing together, and he. He is a great producer. He's like, hey, can you Which do the vocals? The first one, yeah. Age of Winners. Yeah. And all I can, uh, what, uh, the best part about this is that what I would tell you is that, so JD would come in and record in my closet and I'd do all the edits and stuff and I actually got paid for this. It was a mind-boggling idea that I recorded and get paid for it. But the the rest of the band that was there, like, dude, we want to be in here and listen, but Lost is on. So they'd all go right. <laughs> watch Lost in the living room. Right. And I would, I've still never seen Lost. The oh, closest wow. I've ever been to it is them watching in the living room or tracking vocals. But anyway, so yeah, uh, probably 10 records total, maybe a few more and then a, a few of my own. And I've made money producing on some of them and some of it's just for me. So, And then again, the, the tech thing, a, a constant still yeah, in there. Since 2004. Then you at one point stopped making money off of music. Yeah, I stopped producing records. It took a lot of time. Did you then go straight into the gin pursuit? The, how, how did that, how did, so we've, we're yeah, going to switch from yeah, music yeah. right now. Right. And then it's, now we're going to go into alcohol. Do we want to go to our next offering here? Yeah, let's, let's uh, I'm going to, I don't know how much Tobala you have left. But I have to, zero left. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right, here we go. 
Mm. You don't have to shoot it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then you're pouring us what now? So this is, you know, I talk about Vago a lot. I love Judah, Houston at the time, Francisco. This is a Coyote on Barra. Mm. Very, very seldom do I see this. And I, I'm sure Billy's got one, but I actually not seen it behind his bar. But this is so. only about 511 liters. This is in clay, twice in clay. And Coyote, to, I think, is a version of Agave Americana. So okay. similar to the, the plants we see around town here. And this is at 52.6. Interesting connection. When I was at Institute tasting this, um, Judah popped in. Oh, really? Just popped in off the street. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? So yeah, it just they they hung out for a little while and yeah, Judas. So I guess now, so we're gonna probably go back to certain things. I yeah, you know sure, wanted sure, sure. to talk. This about is your of, first time interviewing me, Mike. Yeah, I, of course. I'll give you as much flexibility. <laughs> so wanted to you know so we talked a little bit about the inception of music in your mind and how that ended up growing. Yeah. And now let's talk about alcohol. Well, alcohol, you know, I'm not sure why anybody gets into the alcohol industry. I guess I understand. Me neither. Yeah, <laughs> do you know. Now, on the production side, too, I, mm. like, I don't really understand. Because the kinds of things that you have to do, obviously regulatorily, if mm. that's a word, at a federal layer and then a state layer, it, it's a lot. But ultimately, salute. Did you bail? It's got this weird footy funk to this one mm-hmm. it's really weird it's green yeah. but it, you know sorry i'm sipping this guy footy it's punk. almost like meaty to it you know it smells like kind of like ramen to me right now mm. but i guess even before that like i, I do want to talk about mm-hmm. this stuff about you know the actual business but mm-hmm. where did your passion for booze that led to you being you know um uh, i guess a you know an enthusiast Right. That led you ultimately wanting to create something that led to you wanting to make money off that creation. Yeah. How did that start out? Did you have a drinking family? Did you have, were, you, were your, how, well, were your parents? <laughs> that's interesting, right? So briefly, my parents, our, our family started really in 88. That's when my parents got married. So okay. my mom was a single mom and, you know, I, people that know me know that, you know, I've never met my father. And so, oh, okay, right. yeah. And so she, father or she she followed my dad who is my dad you know right and uh that's how we ended up in all these different places so that being said my mom stopped drinking i think a couple years after she had me i think she was 34 or 5 i I think that that's right i'll have to ask her for sure but so her her parents were alcoholics man and did she have a problem with it and that's why she stopped no she sort of a preventative measure that's right Yeah, yeah because her sister had been an alcoholic and uh, abusing pills and then her other sister died of alcoholism at a, a young age as a result of diabetes sure. and drinking and then her parents you know even though they were alcoholics i mean they still made it into their 80s right you know and it was a different time I, you know she oh grew up functioning in, alcoholism yeah, dude, was, went through all the 50s and 60s and 70s and everything totally sure. I mean, yeah it was, people were i mean <laughs> we've seen mad men yeah people exactly well, exactly and so that was the thing is so my dad didn't he didn't really have a history in in it right like he would he loved margaritas but i never watched i never seen him sip whiskey ever he'd have some beers every now and again but it was not a big component of the narrative food was more so ultimately like it was this culmination of growing up in such a rich culinary background 
Now, my dad, he's in the restaurant industry. He's been right. fucking doing this kind of stuff for a long time. He's owned his own place. He'd always cook dinners on Sunday. My mom would cook kind of the rest of the time. And he was so great at it. He just knew flavors. Sure. It was really, really good. And so the same thing with my mom, but she would do the esoteric stuff. You know, I remember her making borscht. I was like, why? Are you oh, wow. Yeah, so she would just, she'd make that. She'd make curries. She'd make lavender, cucumber, salad, Thai noodles, like all these different kinds of sure. stuff. So it was really eye-opening for as a kid that this kind of stuff would happen. So anyway, I always was open to food. Never a finicky eater. My brother, he's exactly the opposite. He's very, very picky about what he eats. So let's look at like how this stuff kind of lines up. So I'm raised in music movies very rich culture of food and, and, and the arts and i'm also got i have my dad weighing heavy as an influence on me to be in the professional world successful mm -hmm. so if you think about what the perfect intersection is of using your background in culinary living and culture and then business i mean in a sense surprised i didn't open a restaurant i just was never much of a cook i can cook sure but, but so that was the thing. And so, you know, you know, Charles and he and I had been friends for a long time. And I wrapped uh, grad school at St. Ed's. And I can't remember the year now, probably 2010, something like that. Same same thing with him a couple months after. And so we both got out of there and we're like, dude, the we can do this stuff. Sure. Like, we know how to write a business plan. We know how to understand a P&L. But did that spark to want to ultimately create something? Because, you know, and talk about what Jessica and I, like, you know, going into the bar industry and stuff. Yeah. Was we started getting this... Um, taste for not hospitality nicer mm -hmm. things going we were living in new york yeah. going out to these places you know we wanted to show we, we really enjoyed the experience of being out and we wanted to share that with somebody yeah. but we were definitely you know it's funny when you talk about you know being raised in this situation like mm -hmm. like i feel like my affinity for like having sort of a dis i mean open palate also personally yeah, yeah, like yeah. i ate everything whatever yeah my parents sure. don't they're super they're super picky about stuff yeah like i'm like where did i come from because mm -hmm. like they you know they white bread and mayonnaise and stuff mm -hmm. you know in terms of drinking my parents were drinkers all growing up or whatever but it was you know Budweiser and Crown and Soda, like right, that kind right, of stuff. Right. So I sort of ventured out to do that. I got a path that I, you know, started going out and seeing these things, and then that came from that. Before you decided to ultimately start creating something, mm. were you going out to bars a lot? Did you start getting into gin? Did yeah. you start thinking that was interesting? Like, where did that fire start uh, burning? Right, for sure. So there was a particular memory. You said showroom, and then we were just actually before we were recording talking about Adam Bry Brian, right? And yes. I never ran into him then. I ran into the kind of second wave. And I remember sure. I was there one night. And the so Congress Charles, wave. He, that, he had moved. Yeah, he'd right. moved to Congress already. And I, I was not going over there. I, I didn't even know about it. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not even sure what year we're talking. Probably like 2000. Oh, this is 2010, 11. 10 or 11, yeah. yeah. And I'd been going through. I think at that point I was going through a divorce too. So. Right. But, you know, Charles and I would go out. And we, we went from like vodka sodas, you know. Sure. To saying, let's go explore a little bit and gin was this thing i didn't understand it it was kind of enigmatic and i all i knew is that i loved plymouth i bought a bottle of it on a whim love this plymouth is, yeah okay. it's like my favorite favorite one of my favorite sure. gins if not my favorite and i was like i like this this and tonic man this is really this is really, mm. really good i don't know why it was just rich it had this kind of interesting array of flavors and mm -hmm. stuff. but anyway so i knew a bit about gin um, or rather, I knew a bit about Plymouth Gin. I didn't know shit about distillation, fermentation, any of that stuff. But I remember Brian Dressel was working at Eastside Showroom, mm. which I didn't know him then. I just sure. 
what more visually identifiable dude is there? You know, like right, right, hair, tall, right. glasses. Oh, and especially when he starts talking. Yeah, for sure. Which, if you haven't heard Antonio's uh, impression of oh, Ryan Dressel, you haven't lived. It's oh, so fucking spot on. It's That's ridiculous. Amazing. It's ridiculous. Oh yeah. If oh, I man. closed my eyes, Brian would be in the room. <laughs> Maybe I'll just I'll ha- I'll get Antonio to come over and, and just do an interview with Brian. Brian. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No, that would be that would be amazing. Like mm. you should do two interviews and see if somebody can pick out which one is the right one. <laughs> And he can just wing all the details. Like, I don't mm-hmm. care. I just uh, Nobody fucking knows. Yeah, but so I was talking to him about gin, and he's actually the one that brought it up. I was having some cocktail, and he's like, have you tried this gin? I'm like, I haven't tried many gins, so no, I hadn't, you know? I remember down in some Tanqueray years prior, and it was not very pleasant. Now I quite enjoy it. But And he said, all right, well, I'm going to give you some taste of a few different gins. And so I just started tasting you know, I was like, this is pretty interesting. You know, I, mm-hmm. I know vodka, the, just the connotation of vodka, even at that point, not even from a flavor perspective, but the kinds of people that were like shooting vodka and vodka this, vodka that, that culture, that party culture was already starting to build. And I like inherently just rally against that. Sure. You know, I'm not a party dude. Well, and it's but. interesting you say that too, because I think gin for me personally also was a very big turning point because I was under the impression for a long, I, I didn't think that gins differentiated. I didn't know no, at point. the time when I first started that Tangeray and Bombay and and yeah. uh, Plymouth all tasted different. And the first time that I actually realized that was when when we came here and we did David Allen's Tipsy Tech class. Yeah, and he did a bunch next to each other. And having those tastings, like when I tasted Bombay Dry, I was like, "This is perfect for a gin and tonic." Like it tastes like a gin and tonic, right. and it's just the gin. Right, right. When I tasted Plymouth with this little salinity that's in it or whatever, I was like, this is for a martini. And it blew my mind yeah. that, because I thought at the time, vodka was vodka, which was flavorless, mm. and gin was just flavored vodka. That, right. I mean, that was no, the idea yeah. that I had I mean, in my head. So that was a very big turn. When I started seeing that like a spirit that seemed so consistent across its category mm. could be different, I started getting excited about going and trying other things. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. Sure. And there, you know, years later now, there's a lot of shitty gins. And there's a lot yeah. of gins that people make when they don't care. Sure. You know, I was like, well, let's uh, have more products on the shelf. Like, fuck you, man. That's, that's really ridiculous. So th- just think of it like this, right? So the reason we do gin is because it was harder. It really is. You really wanted to challenge yourself. Yeah, that's totally right. And that's how... Was there any sort of feeling of, I can do this better or I can do this also? Uh, You know, better is, is so arbitrary. It's hard <clears throat> to say. I just knew that we were going to do it unlike everybody else. Better or not. And obviously, genius conceptually, the whole process, and it's it's basically what a normal company would do years after having already operated. We built a bottle from scratch. You know, we built molds and shit. I mean, this is stuff that like Patron does. We local guys sure. don't do this. You know, we we learned a lot of things, and we learned how to ferment and all of that. And then you learn your lessons, and you realize like that was more for us. Mm-hmm. Then it probably was for other people, you mm-hmm. know, and that's the biggest lesson if you talk about like the latest chapter, although, you know, we'll jump around, but it's the absence of my ego and Charles's and I's egos is that's what our products are now. We sure. try to serve people, not ourselves, you know. Well, and you did very much the reverse thing. Like I, th- I always use sort of the example of like real ale. Yeah. Real ale built the house on Fireman's Four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They built a very accessible beer sure. that people went nuts over. And then they started going into doing right. Devil's Backbone and Coffee Porters. And like totally. That. So you did the ba- You did the opposite of that. I don't know why. When you yeah, had the did. gin, 
you had the Navy strength mm-hmm. and we actually, we talked about Navy strength, yeah. you know, in the bar one time, reformulated a little bit, mm-hmm. decided to go only Navy strength, which was a big diversion from what seemed like the, the, the normal path. Right. Oh, it, we, did your, did your Satoll, mm-hmm. you know, had that small little deal. And then finally you've come into the, the moneymaker. Now you're at Highborn, which is right. which is the thing that's going to make you the money. And then, like, how yeah. did you go through that thought process? I know that you were talking to John Garrett about it and all this kind of stuff or whatever. Yeah. Like, at what point did you sort of like, and tell me if I'm wrong, want to stop being the starving artist? It's a that's a good analogy for it, really. You know, the Sotol piece because that was happening prior to the the, the Highborn thing, and like for people that care about Satoll or whatever like we did something that no one else had ever done sure and we were the first to the moon it was a space race for us and we did it and it was the most passion i've had in my getting my hands dirty and probably anything even more than the gin of which i've started those first ferments in my fucking shed right mm-hmm. like, and then i would take them to the distillery and it would slosh around in my back seat i remember that at any moment i'm like if i just if i break too hard i'm spilling about 30 gallons of liquid in the back of my car at any rate it it was time to do something very practical. Right. And John had been transitioning or had already transitioned to a new distributor of which he had a lot of say. He had a power, a position of power. And I've always liked John. I met John through Bill Norris. And John was, when we were looking for distributors for Genius, he was one of the first people I talked to. And you know, in hindsight, we ended up back with him anyway. So, did sure. it, you know, it didn't matter. But basically, I was like, well, how do we be, how are we smart here? How do I, how can I give you the tools you need? Because John, you and Matt and Kale at this point, like you guys know the market. You're there. Your fingers are to the pulse. Now, I may know social trends, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more removed. But when it comes to what moves or what sells, you guys know. What's, what hold do you have? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, no one's doing the well gin game. I sure. said, okay. Perfect. Now I've got a problem statement, right? Right. And we went back. I said, what size does it need to be? Leader. Okay. I'll find the bottle that I like for it. What is the flavor profile need to be like? Okay. Like this. Cool. And so we went through eight iterations only, actually, much like Tequila Ocho. And then we we nailed it. That was with participation from other bartenders and getting their feedback and stuff. But basically, it was like, let's make something inexpensive and let's win the well. Let's make something for you guys. Well, in a true question... Were you losing money before that? Oh, fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you, did you have that, did you ever have that sort of like, I mean, I always talk about with bars, Mm -hmm. there's this time that you're sitting there in your bar where you have to make a real decision that your bar is going to very much go differently than what you originally intended to. Oh, right. right. It doesn't have to, it doesn't, you know, you talk about musicians stuff like that. You don't have to necessarily sell out, Mm -hmm. but you got to get a fucking song on the radio or, or or it's, or you're not going to, or it's just, it's just a passion project. And like, you just spent money to do that. Sure. Did you have a time when you were talking about this highborn thing? Like, did you and Charles have to really sit down and go, do we want to do this? Because at, before you decide to do that, it's like, we're kind of going to ultimately run this thing into the ground. Yeah. You know, there was, but Charles and I creatively have really always been locked. You know, sure. I trust him in the operational capacity and he trusts me in that creative and kind of marketing capacity. So in terms of him, like he's like, I'm all for it. You know, if you think yeah. it's going to do that. But I'll tell you what, and whether <laughs> I think it's funny because, you know, Ladia is, is, is amazing and she's my best friend and all of that. And I, I told her initially that we were thinking about doing it. And she's like, yeah, but that's like against everything you stand for. I'm like, mm-hmm. but is it, you know? No, not necessarily. 
You, I, mean, gin, I like making be. gin. Sure. Right? It's a, it's an interesting equation. And it, it's not that difficult, frankly. Once you get some of the, the, the theorems out of the way, the things that are always going to be true, it's really not that difficult. And she's like, you shouldn't do it. People are going to be upset. I'm like, I don't think they're going to be upset. I think they're going to like it. And that I was think funny, especially, so, well, and, and, but you, I think you can think about it the complete opposite of that. Mm-hmm. I was so anxious to look for it because I, you already had built credibility. Credibility. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just bringing a, you know, you're just peddling this cheap gin or That's whatever like that. You had true. already gotten a credibility for being someone who took quality very important. Mm. And now you're just going to make it more affordable for me and make it something that can fit in my well. Fuck yeah. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, we were very anxious to, you know. Do you, you know, yeah. let me ask you a question. Cause I think about that sometimes. Cause I think about it like, man, now that we're <clears throat> selling a good amount of this more than anything else that we've ever sold, like going back, why didn't we do this the first place? And so I guess I think like from your perspective, cause you've known me through this whole journey, you know, we had our release party at Drinkwell sure. for God's sakes. Had we done this the very first thing, would it have had the same kind of resonance? Not that's knowing a, us. That's an extremely good question because that's a very good question because, you know, if you had been somebody that came in at the time that you came to us with the first genius gin, yeah. our well gin was Citadel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it was cheap and it worked. Sure. This was before... Um, Fords wasn't out. Yeah. Fords was yeah. out, and all those kind of things. Mm. Uh, you know, and 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 you know, Jason came in with a built-in credibility. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, automatically, you didn't have it. You came in off the street. I remember, I remember sitting at the big table, like having the taste of the of the first gin, mm-hmm. and we definitely liked it, but it didn't make sense to put in the well, so we put it up on the back bar, and then it's just something that we end up, you know, mm-hmm. doing whatever. But we knew that credibility. But I'll be honest, I'll tell you this. I think, and and not saying anything that you didn't have the credibility of the actual product because you made a good product. Right. We were anxious for, or and I say we, I was anxious. I don't know if Jessica would share the sentiment or whatever to work with that because you would build up a personal credibility mm-hmm. as someone who put quality into that because of how much we got to know you. Yeah. So if we had maybe gotten to know you that much before. And then you ended up releasing the gin. Maybe it would have been right. like that. But our friendship and us knowing you, I was anxious to get into Highborn because Genius was originally something that we that we could only sell so much of. Right. Sure, when you sure. went to the Navy Strength, that was even a farther departure. Right. So we wanted to partner as much as we could. I really had wanted to work with you for a long time, and then when this happened, it's like, great, this is a, this is the perfect opportunity. Just please don't let it suck. Yeah. No, <laughs> Ryan, I can. You know, we can't let it suck. And- it's been, you know, it's been good. If you think about it, it's really no different than you start out writing concept records. It's really the the inverse of what I think most of the time works. But I don't know, man. I suspect that had we done it first, it wouldn't have resonated the same way. John, John and I wouldn't have had the same kind of relationship. No. I mean, we put we put Genius, the Navy Strength, the Oak, the Sotol all up on the board first. Right. right, and then by the time Highborns come out, I think it was a no brainer for everybody. You know, and so, I, I don't even take. I just, I'm just appreciative that that people trust Charles and I. Sure, you know, sure, that's a really big deal. So now you are paying the bills, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing good in that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you got married not long ago. Yeah, which was last April. April, yeah, April. Yeah. Ah, she can kill me, but that whatever that first Saturday was in April, right. either the second right. or the third, I can't right. remember. Right, and. Again, I, I I say certain things and we go back before. No, sure, sure. Uh, you've been married before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, 
an interesting thing about me and you know people again people that are really close to me know this but other people don't and for a long time believe it or not so i moved to san marcus because of a high school sweetheart mm-hmm. right and, and you went to high school where i went to high school in Katy. Texas. Okay. I graduated in 98. I was only there a year and a half. I had to move from what was a really, really stable and amazing place socially and academically in Salt Lake midway through junior year. My dad got a new job. And so we moved. It was very tough. That was the toughest one, man. I was probably 16, 17. So I come into Katie and Katie's like, you guys are fucking slow here. <laughs> the, the, the school system in Salt Lake is, is, is a wonderful thing. So at any rate, so senior year comes around. I meet some girl in September, I think. And Turns out she was the first love, and I can't even remember most of that relationship, just because it was it just had to happen. Mm-hmm. A lot of firsts there, and I instead of because I was still in Houston, my parents are like, "Hey, we're moving up to Dallas. Dad's got another job. You can come live with us. Don't have to pay for anything, or you can stay here and you're on your own." And I said, "Well, I'm going to follow the girl. That's sure. what you do. That's a very like I've mentioned in many interviews. It's a very common." thread in our paths you know so i did that went to texas State. and that was right after high school or did you like leave in part uh, no so was, you so you graduated there yeah i, I stayed but you for, kept in touch regardless and then you followed her to san marcus well, no, so trying to figure out the timeline yeah sure sure so i would this was wrapping up my second year at houston community college okay i'd finished two years after i could have went right into community college after high school and so I'd, i had two years and i was playing in bands and it was cool and i didn't know who i was i had a shitty goatee like all this kind of right stuff. um choker necklace whatever right and uh <laughs> there's some pictures of me that we have done so anyway but i had this relationship like this is the thing we talked about marriage but we didn't fucking know sure so anyways suffice it to say so that happened and then we moved to st marcus together we lived together for merely like a, maybe a month or something like that and then i get my own place dissolves within two months and then i'm left no social circle or anything left again to rebuild and that was the best possible thing that happened i had been working at best buy in houston and then best buy i transferred here to austin met a lot of people that i worked with met a lot of customers and at any rate i was like all right now it's time for career okay i'm wrapping up college my undergrad grad at southwest the second or first semester as Texas State anyway. So get the undergrad. I'm like, all right, I'm totally going to go. You know, after six years of doing it, I've graduated in 2004 and then uh, started looking at jobs. And that's when I kind of got the job that I had now. So anyway, I was like, I'm going to just do this. This is the thing I'm going to do. So I didn't date. Like, I guess Lodia finds it really hard to believe. Like, I dated maybe two or three people from the span of when I was 22 to 26 and 27 mm-hmm. only mm-hmm. a few and just for a few months you know and but it was because i was so focused on me i started working out i started eating healthily and i started really changing the way i looked at myself and were you not did you have a problem with that before were you eating like shit and drinking too much before that like did you did you, know, did you have a need for a change a need for a change mentally but i wasn't it wasn't like i was fat or anything right I just but i was eating like shit i didn't yeah. know how to eat and i wasn't drinking i hardly I was ardently against drinking until I oh, was really? probably 20, 22. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole straight edge movement in Salt Lake, I really aligned with that. Sure. No smoking. Well, and no especially drugs. with your with your family history and oh, all that kind of stuff, it made sense. Dude, if if I wouldn't be surprised if for some reason me starting a distillery is somehow um, sublimation of my repression as a kid sure. for my mom being sure. so against it. Sure. I think she's probably still a little bit uncomfortable 
comfortable about it. But anyway, so to the first marriage part, ultimately what happened is I think it was my father. I couldn't make it for some weekend. There was some kind of an event that I was too busy for. Now I'm actually too busy, but but then I, I had time. But I was like, oh, I can't make it. And my dad's like, you know, that's really selfish of you. And I took that to heart. You know, mm. he when he says stuff, the, the few times that he has said kind of a very declarative statement like that, my life has kind of changed. First, he said, you're on your own. Okay, so I mm. learned to be on my own. He said, in college, you can't do psychology because it's not going to make, you can do it, but you're not going to make a living. And I'm like, okay, so then I got my business admin degree. So anyway, these... Like almost like commandments, you know? Sure. And so he said that, and then I was like, well, fuck. Maybe I am really self-centered and very, very selfish. Mm. And so I met this girl who was in town from Vegas, of all things. And she called me over to the bar. The rest was history. She still lived in Vegas, going back and forth, long-distance relationship. And she couldn't handle the commitment and cheated on me during some kind of Christmas break or whatnot. And then... I said, all right, well, you know what? I've told myself in the past, like, fuck this. If anybody did that to me, done. We're done. But I was like, is that me being selfish? Mm. So then I said, all right, well, you're moving here. So she moved to Austin. And as she says, you know, she wasn't going to move to Austin for a boyfriend. So basically the timer had started and I had to basically propose. And me rallying against that concept of being self-centered and selfish every day, I was like, well, shit, I, should, I have to get married, right? That's what, the, that's what a man would do. So we do it, married nine months, get divorced, no kids, no property, and then she moved. That, so much of this is fascinating because, you know, as you started telling the story, mm. I'm first thinking that you were going to marry the high school sweetheart. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. And that, that, was, <laughs> that was just completely yeah, set up. Yeah, yeah, no, right, like that's just, That just set the tone. Right, right. Or, or that, that's, you know, the interior girlfriend. Right, right, right. That sounded gross. Um, but then... <laughs> You go into a situation as a reaction to something that your father said mm-hmm. um, and make, on paper, a dumb decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you, like, I had somebody that worked for me at one point that already did a no-call, no-show on the first day. Right. And I called them, and they gave me this bullshit excuse or whatever that, and I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And then we ultimately ended up firing him anyway. She cheated on you in the beginning. Right. right. The signs are as big as they can possibly (laughs) be. Don't do this. Right. You do it anyway Mm -hmm. as, would you call it a sense of rebellion? Uh, Rebellion's not, I don't think rebellion rebellion might not be the same, the right word. I think as reaction to that statement. Yeah. You wanted to prove him wrong. That's probably, yeah. Yeah. I think when it comes down to it. Which is rebellion. In a way. In a sense. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. And then nine months, like, how did it, how was did it, it just shitty? Was it shitty from the beginning? Did you have a honeymoon period of like four months and then it's like, fuck, what am I doing here? Right. You know, any <clears throat> relationship that starts off as long distance, you have an implicit honeymoon period. Right. Because, oh, I don't Absolutely see you all the, the time. Absolutely, fonder. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. So when it got real, it was still fine. I guess, you know, there were obviously some issues, but, and I'd say this about any relationship ever now, if anybody's getting married or I talk to my friends about their, their loved ones or whatever. It's like, if you meet someone who's not willing to compromise with you, you're done. You've painted mm. yourself in a sure. corner, you know, and that, that was it. It's like, if you're not willing to compromise on this and I'm yeah. seeing kind of constant. It breeds resentment. It, it breeds contempt. It totally does. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it wasn't, I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. 
Right. And I did it anyway. Sure. To just prove that I was a good man. Did you, you know? go through a time knowing that it was the wrong thing to do that you were like, but by God, I'm going to make this work? I'm, I try to be as pragmatic and, you know, collaborative as possible. So yeah, for, I'll give anything a reasonable effort. Sure. You know, but when it's fundamentally toxic. Right. You know that, that it's just a matter of time till it falls apart. You can only try to extend it as long as you can with, with diplomatic sure. stuff, right? So you break up after nine months. Mm-hmm. That was what year? Oh, I think we're talking 2011. Fall, 2011, think, okay. Fall of, of 11, I think the divorce finally okay. was finalized. Okay. So that I assume you have absolutely no contact anymore. Um, a little. Oh, really? You know, I... Yeah, a little. And Lydia's met her, which is, I think, good. She was it an amicable you know, divorce at the end of nine months? <sighs> I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the little bit of the fallout. You tell me if this, if this seems amicable to you. So we were living in this house. It was a massive house, at least. So I had my own space and basically roommates at that point living in different rooms and things. And she kind of like immediately started dating somebody. So she was gone every night anyway. Mm. So it was just a very weird, dark air lingering in that house, you know. And I suppose it was amicable. Well, it's fine now. I used like, to say that about New York. It always, I was like, I'm not going to live with anybody in New York because yeah. half the time you're sharing a futon in a fucking studio. Right. So if you break up, like Dude, now, right. you're, you're still, and you're not getting out of that lease because it's too, you know, expensive to go do it. So right. yeah, yeah it, very strange time, good time, bad time, you know, all of that. Yeah. But it had. Who, to did you initiate the divorce? Yeah, I called it. Now, yeah. yeah, I was like, you know, was she I, surprised? I think she. I'm pretty sure she thought that by her being, I, I would say, what's the word, um, uh, obstinate and kind of uh, stubborn about it, that that would make me cave. Right. Again, going back to the compromise thing. Right. Uh, but I don't work like that. Sure. You can't just cross your arms and stalemate me. Like, that doesn't, right. I, I don't work with that. I'm, I'm about warmth and, again, collaboration. And so if we can reach a better understanding with each other Closure. working together. Yeah. Do you need closure in arguments no matter what? Um, like I've even with less, Lydia now? I've gotten less about closure. Yeah. T- time, br- breathing room is very important, mm. as I've learned. Um, but too much can seem like you're fleeting, or rather fleeing the, the argument. So I think it's a matter of both. Don't get too, too close to the fire. Because like Lydia is a fire sign, and I'm an air sign. So what do you? What happens to fire when you add air to it? Right. It's just, right. It burns right. brighter and larger. Right. So you gotta like, but also can put out a fire. So right. it's an right. interesting, delicate right. balance right. there. Talking about now. But. And with fire, let's go on to what you got here next. So What's the next? third one is well, we're getting to the real fire on the fourth one, but we'll do this one now. Oh yeah, I get this pintos. So I want to talk about Francisco for a second, if that's okay. Okay. So Francis- I do. You had me on an idea that oh, I want to no, go back ahead. and add. Ask this, but let. But no, yeah, because yeah, yeah. we're talking specifically about this mescal. Please talk about Francisco, mm. friend to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I've listened to his podcast that you had. Uh, incredibly intelligent guy. Yeah. Um, I love that guy. You know. Uh, but we did. I I met him very opinionated. <laughs> yeah. But, like uh, when when we met, I'm like this dude. He's rubbing me the wrong way. Well, when I, I met first him met Jeffries, him, he was, was at like, when I first met him, he was at uh, Fino, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was when Jessica and I were making so much of an effort, and David Allen were making so much of an effort to promote the USBG. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really uh, that into that. Was very vocally against it and all that kind of stuff. So I really just thought he was a dick. Like I'm like, this guy's kind of a dick. But then I would, you know, let that part go. Went out and started going to, uh, you know, Fino at times and talked to him a little bit more. But I actually got to know him better because I had become friends with Rachel. Uh, and yes, Rachel brought Rachel. him around a few times, and I really liked Rachel. I met her originally at Virtuoso, you know, when she was working at right. Virtuoso, mm-hmm. and just took a shine to her. She was a fun girl. And She's ultra cool. Had a good time. Yeah, totally cool. You know, she was from the Northeast. I had moved back yeah, to the you... Northeast very, you know, not too long ago. So we had some of that stuff in common to talk about. And then she would bring him around, and then I got to know him better, and now I consider him a friend, sure. Yeah, you know, again, what started probably as something very tense between he and I, or tension is probably too strong of a word, but uh it it turned into like i love that guy yeah. we've we've we love talking about mezcal we both align and we have so much in common and so he because i kept i, I really was sincerely and earnestly sad that i couldn't get some of the pulcaro and mm-hmm. i understand that john got a bottle of course john got a bottle houston got a bottle of course right. Houston, francisco right? right and uh i wanted that and he he was so thoughtful that he couldn't get one. He's like, I'll, I'll I grab something for you from the Vago office. Sure. And so we're sipping on a Blanco, a Negro Blanco or a Blanco Negro, which to, he'll, he'll have to correct me, but I believe it's a blend. It's a blend of Sierra Negra and some other kind of probably agave Americana. But the plants were planted by either Aquilino's grandfather or his father. Wow. So these are over 35 years old. And so you get and which like, is what we have now. Yeah, this is what we're drinking now. And it is fucking insane. It's awesome. It's so it cool. It really is. It's, it's 50 so... something. I can't remember. But... Yeah. And this is a bottle that he was in town. He gave Rhett King B. And suffice it to say. Real all... vegetal smell. Yeah. We all had a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But he's a great friend of the community. Mm-hmm. And, and he and I are going to take a road trip so we can go interview Russell. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Just a matter yeah, of time. Yeah. He came in and did, a, um, did our uh, mezcal training for... Mm. Uh, for the backbeat group, mm-hmm. and he actually we had kind of done one already, which was fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess he had reached out to Jessica or whatever like that, and she brought him in, and it was much more thorough and very good. And and you know, I had a lot of my opening people that were when I say a lot, I mean what you got five. I had two at least or whatever like that. Yeah, that just weren't big agave. They didn't know a lot about it yet, and it, he'll you turn know, you, man. Yeah, and he, and, and, and he at least, at the very least, got them to, I mean, listen, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Like, yeah, you can't, right, right. You know, shit on somebody for what they don't like, but they at least got the idea and, and respected it, and mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, once you start hearing more and more of those uh, conversations about the, you know, the history and the terroir and, yeah. the, and, the, and the families and all that kind of stuff, they do all those kinds of stuff. It's, it's incredible, man. It's, the, it's yeah. garage rock still. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a demo tape. You mm-hmm. just capture that perfect moment 100%. of the time and place, you know, 100%. so... But yeah, so it's good to, to share this one with you, and it's okay. very special. Thank you. And very Thank you thoughtful very much. of Francisco. Yeah. Thanks, Francisco. Yeah, for sure. So now shifting the focus back to Sure, you. sure, sure, sure. So 2011, you break up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I met you, I would say 2012 or 13? 13, Probably 13. I think, yeah. Probably yeah. 13. Um, you were single then? When you and I met, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. How long were you single 
before you met Lydia. You know, what's strange is we, we think about and it. We're coming down to exactly the day, three-year mark to the, the party at Drinkwell, right? And so, single, and, you know, I was... You met... You met her after the party at Drinkwell? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But by like a matter of weeks. It was so strange. Right. Yeah. I, right. I, so how I felt during that period, which was relative. I, I'm not, a, I don't get lonely necessarily, but I was like, this would be a great time to share with somebody. Sure. It feels oh, yeah. Like you're such, having the success. Yeah. Like if you were able to kind of share that pride, of course. Right. And, you know, and I bet it, you don't go looking for it. And that's, that's just not me. I know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to go looking for it, but. Yeah, to think like as of June 26th, that's when I first met her. June 26th, three years ago. And I feel like you told me this story one time or whatever, yeah. but tell me the story about when you met her or something like that and she was playing <laughs> a tape and it was your band? Well, oh shit, that's a really strange piece of it. Well, you know, so here here's like a brief preface to dating, in other words. If you want to swipe left and right to meet the love of your life, then you probably should de- take a different approach about sure. being dedicated and committed to something because that is such a passive approach. You could buy shoes through an app. Do you want to spend your life with someone who you treat like a right. pair of shoes, right? A right. series of features, whatever. Well, you, don't, you don't want that. So anyway, so I saw her a couple times at work. Right. And I chased her down. I had thought about it all weekend and I was like a Monday or Tuesday. I'm like, I've been thinking about this and thinking about this. I am going to just stop her. I don't know if she's married. I don't know if she has a boyfriend. I don't know shit about her. I just knew like the way she carried herself is that that was something very, very appealing to me. And, and she's just, she's so beautiful, you know? So anyway, so I go in and she looks like, has this kind of frozen look at me. Like, what do you want mm-hmm. <laughs> in her office? And I was like, okay, okay. I know you do something here at work. I don't know what it is, but whatever this conversation that is about to occur has nothing to do with work. This is about you and I or me being selfish or whatever. So, so we, you threw right that. into it. I did. Oh, yeah. Just I rolled told her up, straight up and just like, I, I, I want to take you out. Or That's right. Well, yeah. I didn't, we didn't get that specific yet. But right. yeah, I was like, I want to get to know you. Wow. That was what I said. And I did and we got married. But <laughs> but it wasn't that quick. No, it sure, was like sure. you wanted like two and a half. Two Listen, and a half you're years. not Steven on yet. Like you took some time. No, yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> I know that's true. We, we definitely took some time. But the weirdest thing, and I thought she was fucking with me this whole time. She was listening to Pandora at the time, and right, her friend Sarah. I believe this is how it goes. She's like, "Hey, Ladia, check out this band," and she's listened to this band, and she knew I liked music and really into it and we've always like i said hey check this out check this out making mixtapes all that stuff she's like hey check out this band i'm like okay i'll check them out she goes they're called love at 20 i'm like uh if you look at the poster to your left mind you that is a we're playing with speak that was our first show ever but i was like yeah yeah i know that band thanks ha 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 ha. you're fucking with me she's like no they're really good you should check it out (laughs) and she had no idea it was you (laughs) no idea wow i'm like uh, Ladia, but the, the thing was, the suspense was beautiful because she didn't tell me who it was. She's like, come into my office and check out this band. And then I thought I was just being like the ultimate ruse on me and we're listening. And I was like, that's me. She's like, what? Yeah. I go, no, that's, that's, that's me. I'm right. singing. Right. No. I'm like, yeah. And she just uh, has this like stone, co- like a ghost came over her kind of like Have you know? gone back and found out from her later, like, did she fall then? You think? Oh, <laughs> I don't know, man. We were. It was pretty. 
I think that first week we were hanging out and she made me a salad for lunch and brought it from home and stuff. Like stuff was definitely up, you know. Wow. It was different than right. anything I've ever experienced. Do you guys still work together now? We do, yeah. Oh, so yeah, you, we eat you, breakfast. you dipped in the company ink. Yeah, different building at least, so. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, we would eat breakfast. We still pretty much most of the time eat lunch right. together every day. Break so then you, you started dating after that. Mm-hmm. I it's it's very interesting because I've seen, you know, I've known you guys through obviously when your relationship started. Mm-hmm. The first time I met her, she spit gum at me. I hear about this. I didn't see it. It was at yeah. Blackheart. She no lost shit. her shit. If you can imagine somebody getting so frustrated. Oh, I think I got in that trouble that night for what? I don't know. But I, yeah, we I were all, I don't even know what we were all doing. Yeah, it was we my were, birthday, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. That was when we, that was when we were drinking the, the, the Papi Old Fashions Winkle, over man, at uh, Half Step. Sure. Um, but yeah, we go over to Blackheart. Yeah. I had just met her, got to know her. I was probably antagonizing her because that's what I do sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Whatever like that. And then she launched her gum at me. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I didn't, I, I like at the time I was so surprised that it happened. Mm-hmm. I just like, it, it was almost like it didn't happen. Right. I was like, all right, Mike, I'll see you later, buddy. You're whatever. <laughs> and then like a couple of days later, I saw her. And she's like, I am so sorry. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, I, you know what? Was, I, you know, honestly, I didn't even really think about it's it. It's one but, of those nights for sure. But it's funny because like, no, I mean, so that being said, she's a chili pepper. Yeah. She's got some spunk to her. Yeah, she does. And for you sure. are very even keel from what I kind of know. Like yeah, so yeah. how does that how does that balance out? Because she's, you know, again, uh, like she's got fire. Right. And once we started once we realized and I'm not a huge, huge astrology person because I don't want to ever be painted into a corner. Oh, well, a corner. now you're just saying she's a fire sign. Well, no, but it just <laughs> like if you just step away from it and say like, just conceptually, what are we? She's, she's fire, I'm air, right? Mm-hmm. So I have the amazing talent to do two things. One, enrage the shit out of her because sure. I can just feed into that. Sure. Or at the same time, put out what mm-hmm. is some of this, you know, if you talk, talk about fire or like passion or whatever. So it's a really good balance in that sense. I always feel like I come across as disaffected and somewhat lackadaisical at times. Sure. But I'm very, you know, you know, I'm very methodical and I'm always sure. very think I'm thinking about stuff all the time. And she's, she just feels it. She is, yeah. the reason that I love her so much is because she is exactly who she is. She is not sure. pretend, she's not hiding sure. She knows who she is and she just feels it. It's mm-hmm. out there. And I think that that's a lovely thing because I've never experienced that. Well, and, and, and people have to make sure, you know, a lot of times fire is passion. Right. And, it, and it's, and it's you know, uh, it can be very genuine in terms yeah, of, because yeah. I know for me personally, like, so we had this thing, you know, when she spits at me. And stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then as we got to know, like, she's one of the people that I feel like when I see her, she's genuinely happy that I'm there. Yeah. Like, oh, I yeah. don't feel like she's giving me shit. Like, oh, yeah, you know, it's so yeah. happy to see. Like, she doesn't do that. Like, no. she gives me a hug. It feels like a good hug. Like, I know yeah, that she's, she's there. Yeah, she's not ironically kind of stuff, it's there. anything. Yes, it's not. She just like, is. Well, and also, I mean, like, her not being in the industry the way that we are, mm. she has absolutely no reason to blow smoke up my ass. For sure. Yeah. So, which is we're good. all just people, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's like, yeah, you and I have a kind of a business relationship, but at the end of the day, if I didn't do the distillery stuff, I don't care. Like, we're yeah. still gonna hang and still talk, sure. you know. It's been a sure. good, good go and getting to know you and all that. So, yeah. So here you are. You're going, you know, forward, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you I almost feel like, yeah, like you, you've been listening to the show and, and you have some of my transitional mechanisms to get me going through this well, conversation. I think, I think we, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not to say that I didn't say. I mean, listen, anything worth doing is worth doing, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you've mentioned before mm. that you have no intention on having kids. 
Yeah, not into it. She was on board with that too? Totally. Yeah. We're totally aligned, thank God. Why? Why are we aligned or why no, she why, feel that No, why, why do you not want to have them? I feel, so here's. And, and, and sure. sub-question, how do your parents feel about that? Oh, my parents don't care. They're cool. Really? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both of them are turning 70 this year. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 37 sometime next year. And that's not a big concern to them. Our relationship between my mom and I, my dad and I, is better than it's ever been. So that's actually really, I think, what this awesome. phase is or what this chapter is. But like with regard to kids, this is brilliant because there's a guy, Matthew, who is a new dad. And he sits next to me at work. And we talk about this because I want it like... I got to have a sounding board. I got to ask some sure. dad's questions. We're so alike. He's a Brit. We go out and drink and he loves mascal. Fast friends, you know? Sure. And I asked him the other day, I said, do you love your kid? And he's like, I don't know yet, man. Yeah. It, you know, it causes him so much in- inconvenience. And I said, there's a break even point in which if after that point, it's all dandy. And he's like, yeah, probably. But my wife and I are like, we hate the bugger right now, you know, but, but it grows to love. But the thing I, I said is, and they, they were very calculated about it, and I he's still ambitious. I don't suspect this is somehow a supplement for him being uh, doing his own ventures or anything like that. Sure. I really do feel that for a lot of people, when they're too, and I don't care how much shit I get about this, but when they're too afraid to step into their own business, which is a terrifying thing. Sure. You're on the hook for money. You're on the hook for people's time. All of this perception. I think that when their ambitions run dry and or they're too afraid to take that next step, the perfect segue. Sure. The perfect palate cleanser is having a kid to carry on those steps you weren't willing to Mm -hmm. do yourself. Now, there are I, my parents which is never crazy like that, because it, it's like that's a very naive way to look at that because it's such a fucking commitment i know no true but you know at the end of the day it's like it's a it's a private commitment if you go run a business you have customers they oh, publicize yeah. no, they yeah, socialize yeah. your yeah. failures or your strengths yeah. so in a way it's a real safe way of failing or succeeding Right. Now, and again, like I don't care if people have kids. Obviously, it's, it works out well, and I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't if our parents hadn't had kids. But to me, it's not a solution. It mm-hmm. should be a value add to an already very established and strong foundation emotionally with your partner and with your career, and sure. at least for right now. Now, I'm not saying it's off the table forever. That would be naive to say that I can understand the future before it happens. But right now, Lydia and I are locked about it. Good. And I've got a lot of stuff to do, and I already have a kid. I've got, I've got genius as a kid. The Sotol is well, a yeah. kid. I, 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 you, know. you know, I and you know the analogy. Uh, people talk to you me get about it. that yeah. plenty of times, and I'm like, oh, I got two kids, and they're like, oh, how old are they? I'm like, no, 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 no. I got a four year old on North Loop. That's right, and I got a newborn down on South Lamar right now. Own personalities, their own own personalities, own and and then. All the staff that's involved. Yeah. You know, I hate the analogy when it, I mean, my, like Becca calls us mom and dad. And like that kind of irks me a little bit yeah, because I don't yeah. want to, I don't <laughs> want it to feel like that dominating mom and dad kind of thing. Right. But in a way also, I mean, like we, we definitely need to, we're working to nurture them and working to help them on in their careers and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So there is a sort of parental kind of thing that, that goes in that. But For sure. I mean, it, yeah. it is. I think it's an apt analogy. And if you own a business and you are pouring your money sure. your time and losing sleep over it then it is a very, very concrete analogy. It takes so much out of yourself. Absolutely. The life that you had before now is completely oh, different. 
because yeah. you you've had to give up so much. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick, right? So I remember what, and it's so strange because my my love, my relationship with Lydia was stronger than it ever has been, even though every day gets better than it, than it was the day before. But I remember running into you like at Small Victory when they're having their soft opening, and that was the lowest point for me. You were in a bad place that day. Yeah, and I remember that lost bunches of money, lost the thing that I loved to do with this atoll because people are always worse than you think they're going to be and they're not professional and you can't deal with people like you and I can work on the same level and understand and how if to you don't mind work. me asking yeah, sure, sure. what people um well so this particular person who was our supplier for this atoll mm-hmm. and Billy knows who he was because he caused a big huff and puff at King B one time and Billy actually like texted me and said what is up with this dude I'm like I don't know oh wow um I want to, here's a real quick business lesson. And I talked to Carlos Camarena about this just another, the other week. He was in town. I got to interview him and we were talking about, I said, hey, Carlos, it's not normal for someone that gives you plants. So in his case, agave, my case, Sotol, it's not normal for them to ask for equity in your company, is it? And he's like, fuck no. He goes, I pay these guys on a lease. So I either pay them rent or I pay them a share of the what we harvest, but that's it. And so that's ultimately what it came down to. Someone who was giving me, as Justin Elliott puts it, giving me the trees for my paper, wanted its own part of my paper company. Right. And that was devastating. Because And how did he kick up a fuss at King B? Oh, because they, they have the Sotol there. Right. And he's like, I did this and this and I didn't get anything and blah, blah, blah. He was just, he yeah. had such a bad, he saw the money like sharks he smell the blood in the water and he just, because you know. intended on this atoll to be an ongoing, like you were going to make more, For sure. I think, and, and yeah, do an yeah, ongoing yeah. relationship. And I mean, it's extremely limited release. There was two. Yeah, yeah. You know, I tasted one in a vial sure. and the other in, I, right, I have yeah. a bottle of the second one. I know Billy has two of them, mm-hmm. but that's it. I know that wasn't the intention. So It's, it's coming back and we're out oh, there exploring and pioneering good. Good, good, and looking. Good. Now, well, that yeah, have, you just said you're having another trip out there. Yeah, I, yeah. not to the same area, although we'll we'll look, but... We went out. So this is just to, to briefly illustrate. Like three of us, Mark, Matthew, the Brit, and I went out. Mm-hmm. We went to Bernie, Texas, knowing not where to go. We just pulled on the side of the road and said, I think there's a bunch of plants over there. And we went hiking. And we just, it was a great experience. We're like the first to do it. No one gave a shit about this land. Sure. No one knows what Sotol is. Mm-hmm. And it was just beautiful to see these ripe, mature plants. And I started to get it again. Right. It's like, oh, I remember why I love this record so much. And it sure. takes you back to time and place. So it's coming back and Good. I've got some better understanding of the structuring of how I'd work with the land owner. Mm-hmm. Uh thank you to Mr. Camarena for some insight there. Sure. So yeah. But back to so low point small victory. Oh yeah. Well that was it, man. You know? It's like the band broke up. Right. It's like, well fuck, I love this thing. We're the only ones to do this thing. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I love the flavor of it. I love the experience. It is the most musical way you can distill in a pot still. Distilling agave and blending the puntas, and this is actually probably perfect for, for the last tasting, but blending the puntas, the hearts, and then the colas, blending those together and understanding their characters like mixing a song. And mm-hmm. so when you taste a mezcal, you are hearing someone's perspective on tone and their perspective on melody, right? That, right. that is what it is. Now, it's not the same thing when you make gin because gin's got to be consistent. It can't be different. Sure. Can't sure. be rugged. Sure. But you taste this stuff like we have right now from Akalino mm-hmm. or some of the other stuff from TRA earlier. This speaks to the men themselves. And I lost that outlet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because Jin, once I understand the process and I've got it all delineated and I can hand it off to our distiller, Mark, like 
it's done. I don't have to be engaged. I'm engaged in a different way then, you know, and it was just heartbreaking. And but all I want to talk too, you know. But I remember, and 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 unfortunately, you and I, had, you and I had talked about meeting up yeah, after yeah, that, yeah. and it didn't happen yeah, for whatever right. unfortunate reasons. But I want to talk a little bit about your emotion on that day because I want to tell you mm-hmm. that I, you know, you were there, and I feel like we were. St- we were standing by a table, and it was you and I, and I think Rashid and Marjorie sure. were yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it was the time that you recorded that or whatever like that, but I want you to give me a little bit of an insight on your emotion at that time because uh, when I talked to you, you were literally like I think on the verge of tears. Yeah, you were for welling sure. up. You were, yeah, very, yeah, you, yeah. you were you were you were you were choked up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I asked you about it, and you felt not depressed at that time you express it to me as being overwhelmed yeah you were overwhelmed by a wave of emotion Mm -hmm. that i think that you had had a maybe you had had one of these uh sessions before yeah that you really got to talk to somebody they took it over you felt this sort of uh swell of love yeah uh i think either because of the people that you were directly surrounded about yeah it was michael phillips and she i think back there right yeah yeah being around that that uh Mm -hmm atmosphere and all that kind of stuff now you're telling me about this other thing that i didn't necessarily know about right i feel like when i had talked to you or whatever like that it sort of seemed like this 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 you know groundswell of emotion that you mm-hmm. were getting there so kind of tell me what all was going on in your head that day because i think i even you and i had had a text conversation a day or so later yeah that it wasn't any better it was still yeah, it still, yeah, you, were, yeah. you were still in a little bit of a darkness yeah, I think you even wrote to me and was like, you know, hey man, sorry I was in it or whatever, and I was like, no, I'm totally here for you and all that kind of stuff. And was still in right. deal. So kind of what was all going on there in that situation? It's kind of multifaceted. There's, you know, when you pour money into something and you make the assumption that you can make some of that money back, and like you're working with credit and stuff. Obviously, that's a very uh, undue amount of pressure, and. Uh, just yeah pressure is the best word for it like you just you got to do the stuff it's like this money's due blah 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 so all that that was happening and we invested i mean money into the sotol and then we had to sever the relationship it's basically like losing all your money in a stock that you thought was going to rise so there's like that at play but at the same time there was to contrast it this amazing sense of acceptance openness and empathy that i had for sheed because we talked for quite a while in here, and it was a beautiful experience for me. Same thing with Michael Phillips, talking about the death of his father. She talking about the death of his sister. And we shared these real moments that I don't often get to share with people. Mm-hmm. We operate in this industry on a very topical and superficial level most of the time because it is so transactional. One's a lot, you know, is it really appropriate on a Friday night when you guys are three deep to go into the emotional makeup of someone's existence and they're being no it's not but if we can come in here and we can just break it down and talk bare bones then there's some you expose yourself you become vulnerable which is something i don't have a problem doing but i think that maybe a lot of the people in the industry don't get that opportunity to be vulnerable mm-hmm. you know they don't feel like it's they feel like they'll be judged or they'll feel like something bad will come of it whereas like right here in this room Right now, as I'm talking to you, this serves as an open, non-judgmental place where we can just be ourselves and talk about the things we fear, the things we love, and how 
we do feel vulnerable at times. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that was, right? I've shared these moments with both of those guys and I'm like, they're lovely people and mm-hmm. I would have never known otherwise. Mm-hmm. And they just, they can see through me, right? I knew I wasn't hiding anything. I knew that people could see who I was despite what kind of face or solemn kind of you know facade I have. Mm-hmm. They knew and I knew them and they knew that I knew them. And there's something very, very... Uh, just re- uh, satisfying and kind of like ultimately wonderful about not having to put your guard up with people. Of course. And so that's what it was. You basically get like no filter at that point. And so it was a really tough time. And Ladia makes fun of me for how drunk I came back that night. But, you know, she she will take care of me, you know, and it's much better now. But having the podcast, which I thought would be nothing except a method of chronicling people's lives and chronicling this particular era in the industry besides that i didn't have any expectation but what i've managed to share with people in terms of conversations and what they've learned about each other via me or just via the technology um dude it's it's insane feeling no it's it's become a fantastic therapy session because i remember when you asked me about it first and we were talking about it mm-hmm. and you were like, I want to do this podcast. I want to talk to people in the industry and all that kind of stuff. And especially kind of going in. And I remember I had a conversation later with Hank Cathy because yeah. he was talking about like the expectations of doing it and all right, that right. stuff. And when you first had pitched it to me, I was, I, I told you, I was like, listen, dude, I can, I can talk yeah. no matter what, but if you want to talk about botanical structures and shit like that, you got the wrong Sanders for that. Yeah, for there's, sure. a, there's another one that Jessica can handle that shit. Like right, she's right, much right. better at that stuff than I am. Yeah. Um, but it ended up being so much more and, and so great. And I, I talk a lot of times to people about the unfortunate situation of this industry mm-hmm. of the, uh, the way that it's affected lives and, you know, uh, depression. And you're always, you're always right. on, Oh, You're right. always, I mean, people are dying. People are, are having oh, you know, we serious addiction problems. Oh, we have the beginning of it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all happening. And unfortunately, the way that just the world works right now in the, in the, the healthcare, we don't have healthcare, most of us. Yeah. Uh, so our healthcare ends up being the situation of going and sitting at the end of the night, smoking a pack of cigarettes, drinking Fernet, and just venting about shit. Right. So this is always, this has been a very, a, a very good, a very deep, uh, and it, it doesn't go negative. It goes dark at times yeah. because people's lives go that way. Sure. Just a great therapy session to be able to have. And a therapeutic thing for you is being the interviewer. Like I, now that I've been in the yeah, chair, like I'm sort it, of, right? yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I totally yeah. get it. And you get to know people because, you know, question for you, did you have friends that would be that vulnerable to you on their own, mm. off mic or whatever like that before you started doing this? Did you have people that would really share in that in that depth to you otherwise? You know, it, and that you felt right, comfortable right. doing that too. There I I haven't shared this with a lot of people. My mom has this amazing ability to get you just to like say what anything mm-hmm. and everything by doing nothing. She's just so disarming and she's so easy to talk to and she's not judgmental. She's seen it all, you know, and I hope that that's kind of what I can bring in terms of a lens of these or this a perspective as to this conversation. But I, I noticed years ago when I had this girlfriend and 
she casually felt like opening up to me, which is good. It wasn't a serious thing. It was only a couple months that we're Post-marriage pre-Lydia. No, pre-marriage. Pre-marriage. This is like okay. the, the mid-2000s. Okay. And she opened up about a series of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, she had been raped. I don't think a lot of people know that. And I started to share these moments with people where they were kind of really, really opening up and, um, okay, you know, we're all people. Shit, shit happens. And that's not the only time that's been like that. One of the, the guests on the show as well, you know, she expressed off mic when we were done and she, she dived into it a little bit in the conversation, but she said, you know, I was, this stuff happened. My mom knew I'd been mm. abused for you. You know what I mean? Like this gets tough sometimes, but I feel like in a way, and this is not, I'm not important. I'm just a guy just doing this thing I really enjoy doing. But people share some stuff. And I guess to get back to the question, it, it didn't even have to be friends. You right. Know, people were open it, to it. It was just people. Regardless. Yeah. yeah. And I maybe didn't know them all that well. And some people here I've built great friendships with. And others, we had a, just this amazing exchange in an hour or an hour mm. and a half and then we went on our way but i hope that they're changed forever changed and sure. I, the, the way that i am so i don't know it just it was all kind of building up man like i didn't go into psychology or psychiatry to practice mm. and thus i did other stuff but this is really a way i hope for people to just share you know? well it's a great way that it's evolved i mean and everybody and and, and i think that what is good about it is because it's not strictly about booze no. and it's not formulaic. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are people, I mean, I I know, you know a yeah, good yeah. bit of people on here. I know sometimes when people are bullshitting and sometimes people are on, yeah, and even sure. myself, like, you know, we're, I, I don't think I, I, I don't, I, I tend not to bullshit, but mm. still. Mm-hmm. But regardless of that, you can see people being themselves. You can mm-hmm. see people do, doing their own thing and everything is different. If it was sort of like that, I mean, you know, you do like inside the actor's studio and whatever like that, right. and then you get to like these set questions. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, sure, there's a flair or whatever like that, right. but every single conversation that you've had on here uh, really goes in a, in a completely different direction. And I can assure you and I can assure anybody that, that listens to it, I don't ever want it to be scripted. Sure. I want it to be of the moment, and I am genuinely interested in everybody that comes in here and i want to know as much as i can about who they are and that's how it goes you know yeah and i've not i've only had oddly enough so speaking of another interview that we've mentioned or you and i have talked about that i couldn't release this person actually later reached out and said hey i know i was being really closed off can we do it again oh good so we're going to do it again and get to talk about you know what somebody might be thinking coming in here about some fucking dude just asking him random questions sure. and, and how close off maybe sure. they feel like sure. being, you know. So sure. Yeah. That's good. Do you want to go to this puntas as we kind of... Yeah, you're going to have to ask him real strange questions for this motherfucker because this is 70s plus percent. Well, I haven't gotten any yet. Did you... No, oh, no you I didn't get the last any yet. Yeah, it's the last... Oh, no, this is... Uh, so, yeah, I brought this back for you. Uh, I mean, like I said, it's... Puntas are great. Uh, there's a lot of good uh, situations. This one, for 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 respect to the producer, we won't tell who gave it, and it's and and mm. obviously does amazing stuff. This is paint thinner. This is a dick measuring situation. This is not something that I'm gonna sit by the fire, but I want and drink. I, and you have I any opposition to me adding? Because so these are 
the puntas of the Kowinski, so by Kwisher, it doesn't actually say it's copper, and it's probably two. Oh, refrescadera. So it's a yeah, interesting kind of yeah. It's probably yeah. a single distillation. It's yes, definitely got yes. its character. Single it's distillation, just, it's all serious, the way up to, It's serious business. What seventy eight percent? Seventy eight. That's yeah. incredible. But in a single distillation, so the third the third producer for Vago. Use the same kind of still. So let's do yeah. this. I'm probably going to add water because I, I don't want to drink it at 78. Jeez. That's you should dip a tongue in at least. Yeah. All right. I will. Puntas, man. So now. Okay. So you're yeah, making. How do you, so you, how do you, you wrap a, this up? Mike? Well, no, but you're. you're, you're so. You, so what have we gone through? So music. Yep. Uh, well, here's a good here's a good way to do it. So we've talked about music. We've talked about booze. We've talked mm-hmm. about relationships. Yeah. We've talked about community. Yep. Um. All of those things, I think, are very inherent uh, elements of what people consider Austin to be. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Austin had a music deal. Austin has a you know a a, a, a booze culture, obviously, yeah. and then there's obviously a community that you know, we are a part of one way or another. Um, how do you think it's going? What do you say? Where, where do you think it's going? In Austin specifically? Yeah. And also, like, where do you think Austin as a town, if you want to keep those facets in there, is going? Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right? It's, uh, mm. there's some hair on that, uh, on that mezcal. God, that's in- so crazy, though. So minty. That's so cool. Wow, you guys need to try these pintas. You don't get a chance often to, to taste them like that. So let me, I want to preface with, with one thing, and that is xenophobia is a really dangerous thing. Oh, right? God. So yeah. don't Dallas my Austin. Just fuck off, right? So right. I've been here since 2000. You've been in and out. You went to school here in the right. 90s, and then you came back. And I find it highly suspicious that the people besides, and I love Vice in a lot of respects and hate it in a lot of other respects because it's basically TMZ with hipsters, right? And I was a hipster and maybe I still am. But anyway, sure. so that aside, the biggest voices, the loudest voices of people like, don't come to Austin. They're the people who have lived here like less than three years. Oh, they're all transplants. Yeah. Okay, they, yeah. they have no, absolutely it's like no, when I lived in, It's like when I lived in New York on. City. All these people are talking about, I met one person in 10 years that was raised in New York City. That's right, yeah. At the very least, they're from Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. It's, dude, that's a really dangerous behavior. Of course it is. Reclaiming an ideology that you all of a sudden identify with, even though you have been here less than three sure. years, typically. Sure. And why are you the token spokesperson for right. Austin, fuck off, you know, seriously. And don't, don't pretend like you understand Austin. My friend the other day, she says, yeah, you know, I went to this, and it, you, you know, Lauren. And, but I, I, I found it a very good point, but Lauren's been here a while. Right. Right. And she's like, Oh, I went to Tucson. It felt like Austin in the early two thousands. Like you weren't here in the early two thousands. She's like, well, what I thought it would be. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, like she's a great friend, but I was like, you don't know it, you know. If you mind, if you don't mind me adding no, a little sure. anecdote that's really fascinating. So, a really good friend of mine, uh, who's a Mexican guy, mm-hmm. um, very like you know big on the uh, concerns with immigration sure, and all sure. kind of stuff. Years ago, when they, when they started having the uh, situation going on in Arizona, mm-hmm. 
that the governor was doing all this profiling oh, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And it was like, you know, speak English, be the, you know, be American, all this kind of stuff, you know, all this real xenophobia kind of stuff. Yeah. And he was post, you know, posting a lot of stuff on Facebook and would tell me personally. Fire Dan Patrick, by the way. Yeah. Just as an aside. And all, all of that. <laughs> that fucker. Yeah. But he also made a comment one day and I called him out directly on it. He made a comment and he was like, if you're going to move to Austin, at least learn our language and what, do what we do and speak our ways and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you realize you basically said exactly what the governor of Arizona just said right. about your people right. and your deal. Like, come on, dude. Like, let's all, you know, work together. And he was like, oh, man, I didn't even think about it like that. And of I'm like, because you don't. Yeah. Because you don't think about it. It's that a way. very dangerous. We're in a. I. Politics don't particularly interest me. They only interest me in the sense that it's like a lab experiment of which the results I would have never been able to predict because people are acting so foolish and so ignorantly that I find it comical, mm-hmm. even though they'd rather strangle each other than shake hands, right? So it's like a very strange, tense place with the political climate right now and all of that. But that aside, like, so take the people that reclaim or claim Austin as their home, albeit been here less than three years. So take them... Off the table for a second. So, all right, 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 that's fine, fine. So, we're left with us, mm-hmm. you and I, right? Mm-hmm. We both own businesses. We both deal in the booze industry, which for you is a massively growing category. And for me as well is a very big growing category. For example, the gins in 2013, there were a total of four labels. Now there are 42 as mm. a two, 10 times multiplier. So, yeah, we got some growth for sure. <clears throat> and that's good. Because tech has embraced Austin. You've got Amazon, PayPal, Facebook, Google. Really good, profitable com- co- companies coming into Austin to give provide jobs. Like, that's a good thing. And I don't care if people from California come. I don't care if people from Dallas come. We will grow no matter right. what. And we will evolve. And if you don't like change, then you are no better than a man in his late 50s that still reminisces about Donna Reed and the woman staying in the kitchen. Right. It's a dangerous way to think about people and it's a dangerous way to think about a city and somehow you want to that those are the parameters of which you operate. That's a very dangerous line of thinking. So mm-hmm. keep it simple. Will drinks be better? Fuck yeah. Someone's going to raise the bar and then all, everybody's going to have to raise the bar. I think that's brilliant. Is the food going to be better? Absolutely. And then all the food will be better. Will the spirits be better? Probably not because people want to treat it as a cash grab. But everything will grow and we're going to have to deal with it. But sure. yeah, there you go. There we are. I, I, it seems like we're sort of winding down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Any other? Yeah, I always because I, you know, I try not to ask challenging questions, but you have, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. I feel like it I didn't, if you thought I wasn't going to challenge you, you're crazy. No, I mean, you uh, didn't no. challenge me. No. No. No, I, I, I appreciate this. I thank you very much for allowing me to be able to, you know, ask yeah. you these questions and stuff like that. How did it feel being on the other side? It's cool, man. It's really the same. Yeah. And it's funny and I, I think absolutely flattering that I've had multiple people ask. They're like, Oh, but you're asking all the questions. let me ask the questions. Like, right. Okay. You know, and to think that since October this is a you know, this is probably like hundred and one actually with the Bar Institute stuff, all those interviews. Mm. Fucking a hundred interviews since October. Sure. It's insane, dude. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got Dale DeGroff on the target. He's like nice. the ultimate. I nice. think Jimmy Russell will you know, I don't think I'll be able to get a a good chat in with him before things expire, you know. But 
uh, no bounds. Do you have a whale you're going for? Delta Croft, yeah. But you've sure. already but but you've already set it up. Dale? No, no, no. Oh, I oh, no, I no, thought no, you I, ju- I thought you alluded to the you had already mm, set it up. No, Dale, Dale I, was your it's Dale was wheel. your whale. Yeah. yeah Dale yeah. the whale. <laughs> That's right. It's a, it's in the it's in the pipeline. Oh, and okay. Tomas. That Everybody was tweet hashtag Dale the whale <laughs> yeah. that we want to make sure that Dale he gets is on the whale for sure. And like <clears throat> I mean, he just reminds me of Harvey Keitel and those guys from the sure. old school New York school. And yeah. He was an actor and I just I feel like we could just talk about movies more sure. than anything else, you know. Sure. Um, but Tomas, you know, we can, if you, if you want to end on this, Tomas, we have to do it in chapters because I, it was so incredible talking yeah. to him. We, we, we just talked about man. He has so much information. He has so much insight to give. I've, so, I've had conversations with him and like, yeah. it just, he's going. so compassionate, mm-hmm. you know? So that one's coming out shortly. And, and obviously Carlos Cameron and David Sura was an amazing, mm. um, Judah won't, he can't escape for long <laughs> before we get that. So, but yeah, dude, thanks for switching. Yes. The, as I was thinking about it, the hunter has become the hunted. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Good. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, we, all, we all appreciate very much what you're doing with the community. And stuff like, I that. like I said, it's a, it's a, I think everybody would agree. It's a fabulous sort of uh, therapy session I hope to be able so. to talk about stuff in a, in with somebody like you that listens because so many of us, uh, myself included, just yeah. wait for their next time to talk. So I love it, Mike. Thanks so much, good. dude. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Well, there we have it, everybody. The wonderful Michael Sanders taking some time out to chat with me, to drill me about life. And as I've done with so many other people before, it was a really great experience, Mike, sitting down and talking and sharing as so many of you wonderful guests have done with me. I have to say, I never expected a hundred fucking episodes. I mean, this is insane. This is so many hours of amazing conversation, so many great experiences. I've shared so many brilliant sips and tips with people, and I feel so humbled by it, and I really am lucky, and I thank everybody for their support their openness to talk with me, and their transparency. It is a brilliant period in history with regard to hospitality, with regard to technology, with regard to booze, and it's great to expose it and explore all the amazing personalities there are in this lovely, lovely industry. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the support. And 100 episodes is insane. And what we'll do with 200 episodes, I have no idea, but I assure you it will be great and the journey will be worth every moment. So please stay tuned and keep on listening. So thanks again, everybody, for listening to the 100th episode of Should Be with Mike G. No matter how you're thinking about how Michael Sanders did as an interviewer, and I kind of think he did a great job, or what kind of wine you need a glass of after reminiscing, please keep dancing.